What if everything you thought of health and wellness suddenly changed due to a hidden breathing problem that you are unaware of that affects every system in your body? Improper breathing habits are often overlooked in medicine. I'm Dr. Jenny from the Hobson Institute, and this is The Breathing Lab. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Jenny Hobson from the Hobson Institute here on the podcast channel, The Breathing Lab. I have the pleasure to present to everybody Dr. Michael Gelb, who's a dear friend of mine for many years because of our similar patients that we treat. We are we are airway practitioners, and Michael's one of the top dentists doing sleep and TMD. Um, he is world-renowned in these two fields. He has an office in a clinic in New York. Um, he has co-authored the book GASP and Airway Health, The Hidden Path to Wellness. He's a co-founder of both the Foundation for Airway Health and the American Academy of Physiological Medicine and Dentistry. That's where I met Michael the first time. And the Gelb Center that is over 30 years, you know, been founded by his father, Dr. Harold Gelb, who's very famous in the, in the world of dentistry and appliances. Um, but I'm here to bring Michael, uh, Dr. Gelb here to, to explain what he, what his part of the airway team is, as this, this area of medicine is very much, it's not always understood by all the practitioners, all the doctors that you may be seeing um, for your, your issues. And we're trying to really bring this to the public so that they're aware of what's out there that can, you know, can help them. So Michael, thank you so much for agreeing to this. Can I call you Dr. Gelb or Michael? What would you prefer? You call me Michael. Michael's Michael. Good. Wonderful. My dad okay. calls me Miguelito. Miguelito. So is he Spanish speaking? No, no, no. He just was fooling around. He, since I'm a little kid, I was just with my dad about uh, ago, five days ago, and he still got it together that he knows to call me what he always called me. So it's an endearing term. And tell me, Michael, um, your dad, what is, what is his contribution to dentistry? What in, you know, in a nutshell, so I'll what tell you, in, I'll tell you in a nutshell. So, you know, years ago, since 1924, Dentistry has really been shoving the jaw back in what they used to call centric relations. So if you went in and had a denture done, or if you had crowns done, or if you had a night guard done, dentistry basically still, and orthodontics as well, has been a very retractive profession. And Roccapato used to call it the closed pack versus the loose pack position. Yes. And so dentistry never realized that they were restoring the teeth in a position that was basically bone on bone up in the joint. So my dad was a one of the kind of pioneers in the field of TMJ, and he realized that the TMJ should be in a neutral position. Farrah later found that there should be a disc in there, but my dad knew that the jaw should come down and forward. My father pioneered a position they called the Gelb 4-7 position of where the jaw should be in the socket. It just so happened that the position that my father chose that he felt was the most and this was after studying with physical therapists, osteopaths, cranial, Viola Fryman, Edna Lay. If you look at my dad's book, he studied the whole body. My dad was so smart that when he would see someone that had an altered posture, he would put a heel lift in their low leg and he would put a heel lift in to fix their bite. Dr. Moffat, one of the most learned men in dentistry said, the first thing I ever look at before I look at the teeth is I look at the feet. Right. So I think it's important that whether you come from Roccobato or you come from IPA, you come from PR. PRI, Greg 
whatever, if you're an advanced physical therapist, if you're an advanced dentist, you realize that the teeth are not in isolation. So Dawson finally realized there's the TMJ, there's the muscles, um, there are the teeth and there's the airway, but there's also the neck, the shoulder, the sphenoid, the temporal bone. And we realized that the hips and the pelvis are also have a connection to the TM joint. We realized that the feet have a connection. So my father came from this very integrative viewpoint that the TMJ was related to the rest of the body. Yeah. And that was way, way ahead of his time. And then when I came on board, I started in 1990 and I had no interest when I graduated my program from SUNY Buffalo and I had already taught for five years at UMDNJ in New Jersey. I finally realized in 1990 that the airway and how we breathe and how we slept but also our airway 24 hours a day was going to be very important in health and well-being. And so I began through imaging and I began to keep the airway open at night. My father would go to fatigue conferences and he would say, I got rid of this patient's fatigue because I fixed the TMJ. And what he didn't realize, which we now realize because we have such good comb beam imaging, we have sleep testing. When my father was pulling the jaw down and forward and keeping it there at night, he was maintaining an open airway and he was allowing the patient to get into deeper sleep. So that, that kind of had me coin the term airway centric. Got it. Got it. So that, I mean, that started the whole pathway of, of airway, you know, airway minded dentists, you know, PTs are now getting in the airway field. It's just been about 10 years of this. Right. It's, it's a very new Field. So, um, yeah. So, so what I've been realizing and I've been, and so my father started working with Mariana Roccobato in 1976. Roccobato was really the first physical therapist that explained the relationship of the maxilla and the mandible, the C1 and C2. Yes. He told us about infants. He would hold his grandchild and he, he would yes. show us the movements of the child. So he, he was really working in the department of the child in Santiago, I think, along with his sister. And so he was really the only physical therapist that was a professor a full professor in the department of the child, the department of dentistry, department of orthodontics. And he really had an understanding, unlike no one else, of how physical therapy and dentistry were so were so related. I meet with him and train with him every January. So I'm very Roccobato trained based. And that's my mindset. It's very biomechanical and looking at the curvatures of the spine and, you know, the cervical curvature, that lordotic curve is very, it's not always seen in all our patients. Our patients tend to have that forward head posture and they, they end up and it's an airway posture that I didn't realize it was an airway posture. Yes. And and I would work on patients, work on patients, get them back. And then they would pop right back forward in that forward head, posteriorly rotated cranium. So I know exactly what you mean. And so what was your relationship with Roccobato? Like, how did you and him work together or Harold maybe? You know, I took, I I took a drive with Roccobato. We traveled from Amsterdam to Vienna for the first European Academy of Cranium Individual Disorders with Jules Hessa. Yes, I know Jules. Yeah. So I think I think the basic understanding that the patient needs to know, the public needs to know, is that if you're having chronic neck pain, chronic shoulder pain, what I always say, the jaw and the neck and the shoulder, the jaw and the neck are very good friends. And I've got to put the I if the jaw is off kilter, the neck is your I won't be able to hold the adjustments that you've done, Jennifer. You've spent half an hour with the patient, they feel great, they walk out, they take two bites, and it throws off the adjustments. 
So in other words, I've got to have an orthotic in the mouth that complements what you're doing on C, the shear, the rotation between C1 and C2, sphenoid, temporal bone. We have to work together as dentists, airway dentists, TMJ dentists, and very well-trained, highly trained physical therapists. We've got to work together so that what I have in the mouth complements with what you're trying to do, not only with the spine, but with the airway and with the posture. So if you're teaching good posture, but the patient says, screw this, I've got to, I've got to breathe. They're going to go out of your, you're going to go out of the posture because they say, listen, I've got to live. Everything I've learned is a compensation. So if the patient has to go into a forward head posture to get through the next two minutes or three minutes, they're going to do that. They're not going to necessarily be able to hold up what you've said. So that the collaboration is extremely important. And I know I send out at least 75% of my patients to physical therapists like you, Jennifer, because I cannot make the changes that I want to make just as a dentist. It's impossible. So the, let me get this straight. So uh, Michael, you are a dentist that works with appliances right? You work with appliances to help as the physical therapist that is trained in balancing out the, the lordotic curve and the, the position of atlas axis, the first two vertebra and the cranium. Once they have that balance, then what is your approach? You, you put in a daytime appliance? The Gelb appliance is the number one used daytime. So I modified the Gelb. I have a modified Gelb appliance that when I took over at NYU in 1989, I just added the cuspids. I made it a little bit friendlier, safer, so we wouldn't get intrusion. We wouldn't get as much movement of lower teeth. So I put in a daytime appliance. It's a New York City, Chicago, LA. You could talk with it if you need to talk with it. And they wear it for at least six to eight weeks while they're seeing the physical therapist. They're wearing the orthotics so that you can make adjustments. So I say the first day, the adjustments hold for minutes. Then they hold for hours. Then they hold for days. Then the adjustments hold for weeks. So I'm trying to make the patient independent of the healthcare system. I'm trying to make them something so that their neck pain goes away, their shoulder pain goes away, and I teach them how to hold themselves. So the appliance also does cognitive and behavioral therapy. It teaches them proper rest oral posture. So yeah, it teaches Locking. them tongue posture, lip posture, lips together, teeth apart. And so their oral posture then helps with their neck posture. And then they can keep the appliance out in many cases, 98% of the time. The only time that your teeth should touch during the day is when you swallow and you swallow about two to 3,000. So one thing you've done very well, if you've integrated myofunctional therapy into your physical therapy practice, and yes. I'm, a big, I'm a big advocate that I want all the physical therapists to become, to know something and a lot about myofunctional and the myofunctional have to learn about physical therapy. So my daughter's, hopefully she'll end up getting a doctorate in speech language pathology, but my daughter already is friendly with, you know, you know, Greg Johnson, Brad Gilbert, yes. Ron Harushka. She's going to meet Rockabato if she hasn't met him already. She, you know, she's met you. So yeah, yeah, you know, we're, trying to, we're trying to integrate those disciplines together so that the tongue is functioning right during speech, during swallowing, because as you know, the tongue affects all those cervical muscles as well. I agree. And, you know, I think that it, regardless of what your discipline, understanding what the others do, I have... I've just brought in myofunctional therapy because it's exercise to the tongue. It's like PT to the mouth. We're already sense. doing PT to the TMJ to correct disc position or mandibular position. So for me, it was like an easy addition. Yes. Um, but I think there's not a lot of myofunctional therapists that understand what, when to refer to a PT. When, when is it? And I tell them if, if the posture, 
posture looks, you know, if, if they have a forward head posture and they look like they're stiff in their neck, they need to start the process of unwinding. It's like unwinding the strain patterns in the body. We like to sit, we like to use our body in certain positions, and those positions can cause us to have problems. Yes. And it keeps us stuck in that problem a lot 100%. of times. So um, I think that's great. I What I want to also um, understand is, do you wean people off the daytime appliance? Are they to use it for a period of time, even eat with it? So, so this is what's happened. So, you know, with understanding what James Nestor is speaking about, if you understand what Lieberman, what Coricini, what Kevin Boyd talks about, if you realize that our faces have been changing over the last 200 to 400 years, particularly, if you realize that our, our jaws are not big enough to hold all 32 teeth, if our teeth are getting more crooked, and Barry Raphael talks about it, really anyone who's looking at the mouth will tell you that our mouths have gotten smaller. We now have orthodontists that we work with, and there are very few of them, but we call them airway orthodontics, airway-centric orthodontists. We either give the patient a chance to wean off the device, or if we want to permanently correct the structure, if I have a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old, certainly all the children and get ideal proper orthodontics that retains and returns the structure to how it used to be 400 years ago. Right. So more of a paleo, more of an early homo sapien, Neanderthal. I want a broad arch. I want a wide smile. I want to get rid of ADD. I want to get rid of all their problems, anxiety. I want them not to be choked. I don't want them to have airway problems. But even in my 25, my 35, my 45-year-old and my 50-year-old, some of them are now opting to have this airway orthodontics that after, I, after you and I are done with the patient, they feel great. They don't want to have to wear a night guard every night. They don't want to have to wear a day guard for Pilates, for yoga, for, for weightlifting. And a lot of them realize that they want to have a, a broader arc. They want the teeth to support the TM joint and the airway, but they want it 24 hours a day. And or the thing that we haven't talked about yet, they want to be able to breathe through their nose. That's nose. right. And so by widening the palate enough, we're able in many cases to give them, make them into nasal breathers. Yeah. And if yep. you look at the work of Guy Manant, if you will look at the work of Patrick McCune Buteco, we're trying to teach all our patients to be to gently nose breathe. That's right. So, okay, this 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 is great because there's lots of patients in pain, right? And that and pain drives people to to act. They they'll do something about it. Feeling tired all the time sometimes doesn't make them realize that there's a problem that they can address. But pain makes them address it. 100%. We get, we get their jaw feeling better. So I have a patient right now that knows he wants expansion, knows he wants more tongue space, knows that the tongue is falling back in the airway. And he's so narrowed in the jaws that he can't have that posture stick. But he's like, Jenny, I'm not feeling well. I, I don't know if I can handle all of that work feeling the way I do. This is so, what happens. Let me, let me explain it. So that's beautiful segue. So I say this all the time. The patient doesn't come in, Michael, I have an airway problem. No, the patient comes in. Oh, oh my neck hurts. Oh, I got headaches. Uh, I got ringing of the ear. I've got fullness. The patient comes in with pain or fatigue. Right. I have, and this is why you need someone like me in Chicago. And this is why we need this, these people 
this teamwork across the country. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a comb beam. I'm going to diagnose the area. I'm going to give them a home sleep test, which will get read by a board certified sleep. I'm going to get rid of all their symptoms and give them back the energy so they have the energy to go through the orthodontic. Working together, we're going to identify the problem. You got to understand, I'm the one who identifies the airway problem. The patient, unless they've read the book Breath or the book Gas, the patient doesn't know they have an airway problem. The patient knows they're in trouble. They've got clicking. They've got pain. They've got tooth sensitivity. They're breaking restorations. They're wearing down teeth. They feel their, their, their jaws off. They can't find their right bite. They have chronic neck pain. And so the physical therapist is saying, Michael, please send me the comb beam. I want to look at the Atlas, Axis Atlas. I want to look at Occiput. I want to look at the, the spaces that are supposed to be there and the orientation. Can you please share with me? Because remember, my imaging goes down to C7 now. I've got oh, a Oh, you got a big I, one. I go to big one. I'm all the way, and I'm seeing scoliosis like you wouldn't believe. You know, remember, my scan used to stop at C3, C4. I missed 90% of all the scoliosis, which really occurs at C3, C4, C5, C6, C7. That's when you, that's when you start to see the curve. Right. So I think what you said was beautiful. I set up the case for that patient. I identify the problem. I get a diagnosis working with a physician, but basically we're controlling the case. And then at the end of three months, we have a discussion, all of us, do you think we should do this permanently? And then the patient has the confidence because I, I, we've already transformed their life. They're not feeling any pain. They're now refreshed during the day, but they're, they don't really have a bite because we do airway first treatment planning. So we've given them an airway. It's like on an airplane, you've got to put your mask on first before you can take care of your child. We give the patient back an airway, we give them back their life. Now they can focus, they have energy, they're in a better mood, they have less anxiety, they have less depression. We've gotten rid of their clicking, we've gotten rid of their jaw pain, we've gotten rid of the neck pain, we've gotten rid of the headaches. And now the patient says, okay, now what do I do? Do I have to wear this device the rest of my life? And we go, no, we now have techniques where we can broaden your arch, broaden your airway, and we can basically put you into that position that you were in with the appliance with airway-centric, airway-friendly orthodontics. So that's one option. If right. they don't wean off the bite plate, we certainly give them the option to fix the problem and resolve the problem permanently. So their options are, A, do you want to continue wearing these appliances? If you can, that's probably the most inexpensive, right? The, like to, like, to my, just... like, like my father would have them wear it all day. I try to wean Almost everybody, I wean them off the use of the daytime appliance after the first eight weeks or 12 weeks as much as I can. Okay. They wear it for Pilates, yoga, and weightlifting and midterms and finals. Do they sometimes need, after that weaning off and then they have a nighttime device, do they need braces ever there to kind of fix the the alignment of the teeth or not? Yeah, so because, because our jaws are screwed up because of soft diet, because of glyphosate, because of epigenetic factors, most of us, our maxilla is too far back. 82 to 85% of us, our upper jaw is too far back. It's too narrow. Teeth are crowded. The lower jaw is almost always too far back. You have a long face grower like me because I was a mouth breather. There's a lot of mouth breathers. There's a lot of preemies born today. So yeah, so a majority, a lot of our patients, this is what changed in the last two to three years. Most of our patients today are going on and getting some sort of orthodontic treatment only from an orthodontist that really understands what we're talking about today. Right. Because some of the orthodontists that are out there are not 
airway centric. They're not always looking at the airway. And if you go to an a, a, a orthodontist that is an airway centric, they might just retract you more, right? Well, it goes worse than that. It's not just that they don't know about airway centric. They'll actually could make you worse. So I'd say that 80%, and I think it's more like 90% of the orthodontists out there don't really understand what we're talking about today. And as a matter of fact, are fighting us and don't want to change. And so I'm not very optimistic. That's why I look at general dentists out there learning these techniques. And there's a lot of techniques like facial beauty. Um, There's techniques like Vivos. There are techniques, there's clear aligners, there's MSC. Uh, There's lots and lots of things that we're using, hang expanders. There's lots of bioblock. There's lots of techniques orthotropics. There's lots and lots of techniques that we're using today that can get the airway expanded and the jaws expanded so they're in a much more physiological position. So there's a lot of appliance therapy to expand, right? The, there's, yes. I know the DNA, the vivos. All um, that. And then there's some surgically facilitated orthodontics as yes, well. Yes, yes. That like is a little bit, a little bit faster, right? Yes, a little faster. You can work with a surgeon or you can just make some perforations and some, you know, to speed things up a little bit. Yep. Yeah, th- it's all being done today. And and is it safe, Michael? Is that safe to do? You know, a lot of people are so nervous about the, t- the, 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 the teeth kind tipping. of con- tipping of the, the roots coming out. Or Well, you got to understand that most ortho, most dentists will tell you it can't be done because the dogma that's been passed down in dental school, the orthodontists will say, you know, the sutures are fused. But like my friend Lane Martin is learning from Dr. Alakani at CTOR, a lot of what, and he's a molecular biologist, he's, you know, with the NIH, they know that you can, the sutures are not fused. So what's been taught and passed down in not a very scientific manner has really confused a lot of the dentists out there who are telling their publics. But like my friend Bill Hanks says, if I'm expanding seven seven millimeters, it probably can be done. So if people around the US, like my friends are all doing it, I guess it's not really true what, uh, but having said that men who have very thick bone, it is harder to get that suture. You very often will need some surgical help to facilitate expansion of that suture in men that have very dense bone. It's a lot, we're finding it's much easier in women that have thinner bone to get that. And certainly the younger the patient, the easier it is. Could I ask you, you know, just there's two things, um, tongue tie, tongue tie. I feel like the tongue tie is something that uh, is getting a lot more attention now, but have you seen the, the correlation between narrow jaws and tongue tie issues like tongue tie? So let me tell you, I missed it for 35 years. I missed it for 35 years. It's always my assistant has to often remind me to look because you know what? I'm like, it's, I'm, I'm telling you, it's not easy for older dentists to make this switch. But now that I'm looking for it, I'd say it's very hard for an infant to latch on and to feed properly. And so certainly within one or two days of life, like in Brazil, everyone should be looking for tongue tie. When the baby's born, we should be looking in the infant for tongue tie because it will affect and it can affect their ability to latch on to the breast, to feed to the nipple, which is really important. But almost every case I've ever seen of tongue tie has a high narrow palate because the tongue has never been able to spend time on the palate during the rest position, during the swallow. And so we have very, very, most of our patients have underdeveloped palates. And I'd say tongue tie is is one big reason for that. 
And uh, the tongue needs to be from a myofascial and from a fascia, from a stecho perspective and a fascial perspective. For my TMJ and my neck pain patients, I like Saruzaji's YouTube video where he shows the patient's neck. They say that their neck is relaxing as he's releasing it with the scissor. As he's releasing the tongue tie, the neck tissues, the neck is feeling so much more relaxed. So there's a lot of good reasons. I know it's controversial still, but you know what? Anything new is controversial. So my daughter tells me how controversial it is in the speech language field, but that's only because people believe what they were taught in school and what's taught in school is what they were doing a hundred years ago. So it's very hard for schools and universities to keep up, unfortunately, with what's really going on and what's really out there clinically and what sometimes what we're seeing and what works. I know everyone wants to be evidence-based, but there's also practice-based evidence. And usually in my field, from what I see, practice-based evidence is equally as important as evidence-based practice. Right. And my one of the things I wanted to mention was orthognathic surgery. You know, patients that are so far gone that any kind of expand, it's just like, okay, they're miserable, they're fatigued, they've got pain, they have headaches, TMJ, all of it. We say, okay, well, let's, it's an orthognathic case. So for the public, an orthognathic case is when the surgeon basically fractures the, the jaws, repositions them in a way that the airway Hopefully the airway is the number one, you know, uh, reason why they're trying to open it up, but they reposition everything. They widen the palate. There's enough tongue space. There's enough airway space. They might replace the condyles, which are the the articulating uh, joint. Right. But out of all of the surgeons that I've met, I've asked, have you checked for tongue tie? You know, because nine times out of 10, those patients are tongue tied. There is a, a, an awareness of the surgeons now, the general surgeons, the oral surgeons that we can open up the airway surgically. And that's like, I always tell people what their options are. You know, when they start with me, I say, listen, you can, we can just make you comfortable with what you have. We got to work with a dentist that really understands how to, how to create less pressure and compression and give you a little more vertical that you've lost. We can deal with that and just make you comfortable. Or you can get even better help by expanding your palate as an adult or a child. And you can do it several ways. It might take a couple years and you have to still train the tongue, train the breathing, make sure you're swallowing properly, make sure you're nasal breathing properly and you're using the right muscles. And then if that's not the, the last resort is orthognathic, but there's some patients who would you say, do you ever start with that? with some patients? Well, yeah. So listen, like, like with our patient that we have in common, you know, uh, I won't mention her last name, but Lauren, I think you and I want to do all the soft tissue work up front. We want to get the patient ready for orthognathic. And I'd say 90% of the time, they're not going to need the orthognathic surgery. Once we get those soft tissues where they need to be, we get the tongue loosened up, we get the airway open, we get the jaw down and forward. A lot of times there are techniques that can be used where we don't need that. But certainly when I work with cord cutting, when I work with Joe McCarthy at NYU, and Barry Grayson, they would send all the cases, the cranial, the syndrome cases to me and the orthognathic, they would send it to me before to get rid of all the pain 
the clicking and to get a better placement of the jaw non-surgically before they ever did the surgery. And that would improve their success rates substantially post-surgically. So if you go and do the orthognathic surgery without working with you first, without loosening up the soft tissues, without restoring function, without restoring the swallow, without restoring the proper tongue posture, we know that the majority of these cases will relapse and fail. We know that the majority of these cases will relapse and fail because you haven't done the soft tissue work. And if you look at Guimanot's work, if you look at the adenotonsillectomy cases that combine with palatal expansion, the thing that maintains these cases long-term is the myofunctional therapy, the proper tongue position, the proper tone of the tissues, not too much force coming from the outside, enough force coming from the tongue and internally so that you can scaffold and maintain these, these, these hard tissues, the bones, where the surgeon put them. Right. And I, I totally agree with all of that. I, I feel like many of our patients, and we see similar patients, they are ramped up with fight or flight sympathetic nervous system tone. So all of that helps open that up, but we have to make sure that breathing is the forefront of what, why they, why they ended up getting so screwed up, right? right? The, the way that the way they breathe. So they're structurally compromised. We're going to unravel all of that, but yeah. we have to make sure that they, that we have a good balanced nervous system. Yep. So really, um, I don't like discharging patients unless they have good posture, the best that they can, good tongue position, that they swallow without excessive t- tension in the face and the neck, uh, that they can breathe through their nose. If they can't breathe through their nose, I'm sending them to the ENT very quickly. Correct. Because I feel like that changes your posture. If you can't use your nose, you're going to adapt. And all of these things are adaptations to proper breathing habits. So, And the other thing that I'd say is that we have to work with you, Jennifer. You have to get the diaphragm working properly. If there's been any trauma, you have to restore the function of the, the pressure systems, the glottis, the different pressure. There's three pressure systems. You have to get the diaphragm working properly. Some people can't do diaphragmatic breathing because their posture, or they've had some pleural issues, some lungs, and, and there's some adhesions, and you have to free up, you have to do that manual therapy and free them yeah. up. So if that's not done, then we're probably going to get failure down the line because they haven't seen you prior to either the orthodontics or the surgical procedure. What would you say, I'm going to ask you two questions and we're going to wrap it up, uh, yeah. Michael. What would you say to your dental colleagues, the ones you don't know that are you're trying to just open their minds up a little bit to, to what this is about? And, and you practiced dentistry a certain way for many years. You had a great mentor, your father, that opened your eyes to many things. But some of these people don't. What would you say to them just to, to be, what was what would be the one thing you'd want to say to them? I would tell them that our skulls have changed and that every generation, we're not dealing with the same set of jaws that we were dealing with 100 years ago or 200 years ago. I would tell them that everyone from Spear to Coist to Panky to Dawson to LVI to APMD to ACP, every group, it's airway first. Air In a hierarchy today in dentistry, dentistry is becoming, is becoming more about the health and wellness of the individual. And below airway and sleep and breathing comes TMJ, clenching, broken teeth. The last thing we look at 
is the teeth and the occlusion. And dentistry is coming into its own. And because of technology, because of diagnostics like home sleep testing, we're now becoming aware that the airway issues and that the dental team is really the primary group of people, along with you, physical therapists, along with speech language pathologists, we can really make dramatic improvements to someone's airway, breathing, and sleep. And so by giving someone more oxygen and deeper restorative sleep, we have levers into the system that we never had before. We can do more for health and wellness that diet alone, exercise alone, mindfulness alone can't do. And so I would encourage every dentist out there if they want to just have a more fulfilling, more rewarding practice, if they want to help their patients even more than they're doing now, they can still be great dentists. I just ask them either to work with someone like us, Jennifer, that's aware of the airway or to get the training themselves and become airway first or airway centric practitioners. Great, great. Last question, uh, Michael, what would you say to the public? What is What is the one thing that you would want them to understand, given that there's so many people out that are miserable, that are tired, that are clenching, that are just a lot of tension. What, yeah. what would you say to those people? Well, what I would say to them is two things. One, you know, I have this book. I'm not saying I'm trying to sell, but th- it's a hidden problem. Yes. You know, this, this airway yes. thing, this, this book, Gas, it's a hidden problem that can affect their heart, their brain, their performance, their energy their well-being and their mood. And then if you read a book like Breath by James Nestor, don't believe me, read it from a journalist. I would just tell the public that the way that you breathe both during the day and at night and the size of your airway can have a substantial impact on your well-being, your performance, your mood, and your energy level during the day. And this starts with children with ADD, anxiety, oppositional defiant. A lot of these symptoms that are being diagnosed are not real. They're not really ADD. They're not really anxiety. They're not really depression. It's really a sleep disorder or an airway disorder. And the same thing with adults that are being classified and that are fatigued, that are being put on a lot of medication. I think there's a more integrative way of doing it, more of a natural way of doing it. And saying to the public, there answers out there for you. And that just because you've been labeled with some diagnosis doesn't mean that that's really necessarily what's at the root cause of that diagnosis of those symptoms. I love that you said that it's it's an airway problem. It's not just a sleep disorder breathing problem because that's a lot of people, I feel like they, they say it's sleep. And I'm like, no, it's you're breathing. And because I have a capnometer that I show people biofeedback and really looking at what you what you're doing um, with breathing, because breathing is like, oh, I breathe fine. And you know what? A lot of people think they do and they don't, but it's a day and nighttime thing. And the way you breathe during the day, if you can train it, will affect the way you breathe at night. But Michael, thank you so, so much for this wonderful podcast. I think this is a great, great addition to what I'm trying to do for the public is really educate them on all the different practitioners in the airway field. So this was wonderful. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. And I I hope to be able to interview you at some point in the future. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Breathing Lab with Dr. Jenny. 